0: Hey everybody, welcome to this edition of Chopping It Up with Jimmy C. I am your host, Jimmy C. Gardner. For those who don't know me, I'm a former professional baseball player with the Chicago Cubs organization. After the conclusion of my last minor league season in Charleston, West Virginia, I was indicted, tried, and convicted of heinous crimes largely in part of the state's star witness, discredited serology and DNA expert, Mr. Fred Zane. He falsified forensic reports and testified falsely at my trial. I was sentenced to 110 years in the West Virginia Penitentiary. I served 27 years of wrongful and false conviction before I finally proved my innocence and was granted release and liberty. Today, I'm an inspirational, motivational speaker, social justice activist, human rights activist, and mentor to at-risk youths. I'm not only free, I'm living. On today's podcast, we have a very special guest. But first, I want to remind you all to support my channels at J.C. Gardner Speaks. And for more information on my unbelievable life story, please go to my webpage, www.jcgardnerspeaks.com. Also, leave your review if you are moved by my story or podcast. Okay, let me introduce you to my guest. I am Jimmy C. Gardner of JC Gardner Speaks and welcome to Chopping It Up with Jimmy C. How y'all doing out there today? I want to take I want to take this special time to uh just thank my guest. We have with us today, Mr. Steph Frazier. And Mr. Steph Frazier is a former federal prisoner. He came home after 25 years of incarceration via the First Step Act. Mr. Steph Frazier. Thank you for joining us here today. How you doing, my brother?
1: I'm doing fine, brother. Jim, I thank you very much for this time and opportunity to be on Chopping It Up with uh, Jimmy C. Gardner.
0: Thank you, brother. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, shows like this, man, this opportunity I have, man, it's, it's because of brothers like you that have put that work in, man, and and, and and are a voice for the voiceless and reaching back to try to bring all our brothers and sisters home. That's why I do what I do with Chopping It Up, man and with yes, my Freedom Fighter Friday. Without further delay, man, I wanna just let everybody know, Steph is uh, very active and constantly trying to bring individuals home. And I, man, I, I just want us to all support Stet and what he's doing and how he's doing it. Stat, can you give us a little bit of a background about yourself and and you know what you're doing since you've been home? Brother Jim, as uh, you spoke and said, I did 25 years
1: in federal prison for conspiracy to distribute crack cocaine. You know, uh, being a drug dealer and uh, paying the price dearly for my activity. But I'm here to represent those that I left behind because I started petitioning Congress back in 2016 while I was still in federal prison because I saw that me as an individual would not get anywhere with the law being 100 to 1 crack cocaine disparity that was issued or sentenced on those of us of African-American descent. And so uh, with me being in federal prison for so many years and understanding how the law operate, how the law work, and seeing that me as an individual, I was getting nowhere, well, I knew it would take more than me as an individual to raise this concern. My point was to talk to my cousin, Corey Hay, well, once I was denied clemency in mm-hmm. 2016 under President Obama. As a matter of fact, it was January 6, 2016, and January 7, 2017, I was denied clemency by President Obama and I was my first time knowing about Lafemna. So mm-hmm. with that, it just really enraged me to challenge the system because I knew the crack cocaine disparity was wrong. And I yes. knew and I had read over and over that Congress admitted that they was wrong, all their initial beliefs was wrong. So at that point, it pushed me to Ice Brothers and Sisters throughout the system to join me. I would be the injured part because the system could not smear me because I was a first time offender with no record. And then the system could not smear me because of my activity within the system of doing fundraising, doing programs, setting programs yeah. up to help young men, being incident free and being, as one would say, or my judge said in my case, an example of hope. And also he referred to me as an impeccable record while I was incarcerated, but that didn't negate get, the fact that I was a drug dealer. Mm-hmm. So the system could not smear me to say that I had been acting other than a civilized individual while I was incarcerated. So I told the brothers and sisters, I say, stand with me. The system can't smear me. I'm the injured party, you're the co-injured party. So okay. what led me to the petition Congress was prior to 1946, the Indian tribes had to come together because laws from the United States government targeted them. And so the Indian tribes came together as one to petition Congress and address the laws that actually targeted them. So I followed the same process that the Native Americans had to uh, follow when I raised the issue to Congress, which was four issues that I actually raised. And these issues consist of Congress' initial beliefs that crack cocaine was more dangerous. Crack cocaine was a different form of drugs than powder cocaine. Crack mm-hmm. cocaine beat down the downfall all over America. Crack cocaine was more cheaper. Crack cocaine was more potent. So right. all these initial beliefs Congress admitted was wrong. So once you admit something is wrong, then you should write your wrong. But Congress mm-hmm. refused to write the wrong. So once Congress reaffirmed their position and made the law in 2010, 1801, that President Obama signed into law, according to the Supreme Court Washington case, a 1972 case, any time a decision maker, decision maker with the date is Congress will reaffirm any type of disparity, then they have established their intent and their purpose. So yep. once Congress reaffirmed a spirit of 18 to 1 without making any form of justification knowing you was wrong in 1986, you now established your intent and purpose that the war on drugs was a war on black youth. Hmm. And so I raised the issue to, to Congress. And in the second part of the argument, of this 34-page argument that I sent to Congress, was quoting Senator Biden, who admitted he was wrong. And passing the law, Senator Leahy, Senator yeah. Dick Durbin, these are senators that still are active in the government today. Admittedly, mm-hmm. they was wrong. So what I was putting their words back to them "Are right or wrong, man. Yeah. All the lawmakers, right or wrong. So the third part of the argument was where I was arguing that once you reaffirm a position, according right. to the Supreme Court, then you have established your intent and purpose against African-Americans because you made an 18 to 1 and you didn't have a justification. And mm-hmm. fact, when you passed it 100 to 1, you only had one recess. You went from 9 o'clock to 1 o'clock and passed the law. They avoided all normal procedures that Congress would pass when they did pass the crack cocaine law on the anti-drug abuse act in 1986. This was not even normal. So when you come and reaffirm position in 2010, you've done the same thing in 2010 that you've done in 1986 when you passed the anti drug Abuse Act. Mm. And the fourth part of the argument was that all branches of the courts, the district court, the appellate court, the Supreme Court, make it clear that we cannot legislate law from the bench. If a law discriminates, you must petition Congress. Hmm. So I took those issues before Congress, which was a 34 page argument, sent it to professors, sent it to law schools. I just sent it to everyone to raise this issue where over 100 congressional members got this argument. Did I receive a response? Of course not. Hmm. It wasn't for, I didn't sit back and believe that they would respond because they know what I was saying was right. Right. And so I just was to raise the issue to bring what they was trying to continue to keep in the dark to light. Showing mm. that these are human beings that you continue to look over. These are human beings that you just saying you're gonna continue to sit in prison with life sentences when you right. know you are wrong. Mm. And so since I've been out, I have been on there speaking in Washington DC at the Black Youth Leadership Conference. Mm. I spoke at the Trump derail in uh, Miami. I have mm-hmm. spoke in schools. I have worked with the Boys and Girls Club here in Camilla. I go to the schools. Before COVID-19, I was going around speaking to youth concerning drugs, gang affiliation, because gang affiliation today is the new crack cocaine disparity. Mm-hmm. And so I was making them aware of federal laws that it's all set in place that you don't have any knowledge of concerning gang affiliation. And so mm-hmm. I was going around speaking concerning the crack cocaine disparity, speaking to youth Concerning my drug activity and my life in prison for twenty five year or uh, twenty five years, still on yes. life sentence until I was released, and I was just still active working in my community and raising my voice to bring awareness to human beings that still sitting in federal prison because Congress yes. refused the right to write the wrong against African Americans.
0: Yes, I just want to applaud you, brother, for your service, and it's, it's it's brothers like yourself, man, that continue that fight and and continue to stay resilient after release. You know, because we know that the individuals that we left behind deserve the same freedoms and the same relief that we have out here as citizens in society today. Yes, sir. And, and for that service, brother, you know, much props, man, and, and total com- totally commend you, man, for your efforts and continue those efforts. I know you spoke about Senators Leahy, Leahy uh, Durbin and, and Senator Joe Biden being uh, staunch supporters of the uh, Fair Citizen Act. And uh, these individuals, they know that this act was wrong because it was actually directed at the certain group of people, Black people. Yes, sir. And we know we have our presidential candidate, Joe Biden, right now that is coming up for election uh, here in November. And I think this is uh, something that, that we should have on his plate. This is something that he should be able to to at least be able to address and or... Make some type of point or or a position on this. God willing that will happen.
1: Those that participate in voting and those that intend to vote for Biden, Vice President Biden, put him to the test. He know what he passed in 1986. Right. He know what he voted on. He right. know what he reaffirmed in night in 2010. Right. But as long as you don't put him to the test and you give him a free ride. See, that's the point I have with us as a people. We intend to give him a free ride, like we give everybody a free ride, and don't put tough questions before him, because he can say he's going to get in there and push for the law to be changed. That's called politicking. That's campaign rhetoric, because all of them, including President Obama, in 2008, in his Blueprint for Change book, he said that he would make the crack cocaine law one-to-one. That was campaign rhetoric that President Obama said. Did he do it? Of course not. Senator Biden, or Vice President Biden, will say the same thing. Will he do it? I doubt it. We
0: have to be capable of at least presenting it to him,
1: and, it and, to him.
0: and seeing if if the change has came about. We're talking about 1986, which is what 34 years ago. Yes, and we're talking about, and we're talking about we're talking about a, a law that was actually enacted behind. The famous basketball star, Mr. Len Bias, when he when he overdosed on cocaine and and it was hyped up to be crack cocaine. Yes. But, it was, but it was actually powder cocaine back in yes. the 80s 80, and 86. And this is what it just prompted this outrage against crack cocaine and the war on drugs. Yes. Yeah. Can you share? Can you share a little bit of information with the with the audience about that? That aspect, the alleged war on drugs? That occurred after Mr. Lynn Bias' death from a from a cocaine overdose.
1: That war on drugs was most it was mostly hyperbole Feel Yes, it was a killing killings going on. Yes, it was turf wars going on, hmm. but it was controlled by the media. Right. Congress even admitted that it was the media frenzy that guided them to pass the law. The media was really focused on and showing the deaths that was going on. And you had families that was crying out, concerning those that was being killed during the war on drugs, the turf mm-hmm. wars. So at that point, crack the cocaine was a form of drugs that had came out and you had young black men who was actually had beef battles or battles over certain areas. And that was hyped up. And it being hyped up, it allowed Congress to step in, the lawmakers to step in. Because when you have a situation that is not controlled, mm-hmm. not, unable to control this war on drugs, although it's a war on drugs, you targeted one group of people. What group was that? And that was blacks. Thank you. Called a late great basketball player, Liam Bias, overdose was on cocaine, mm-hmm. but you did not raised the fact that cocaine could not be produced. I'm mean, gonna say crack cocaine could not be produced without powder cocaine or cocaine hydrochloride. You need cocaine to produce crack cocaine, so this war on drugs, yeah, a war on African Americans because from the time, according to the United States Senate Commission, from 1992 to 1997, the influx was so enormous, yes, us was placed in federal prison. Mm-hmm. In fact, under the 1994 uh, Clinton crime bill that set into place all these federal prisons that would be built. You had dozens upon dozens of federal prisons that was built based on the war on drugs. And who filled the prisons up? Blacks. It was blacks that filled the prisons up. So was it really a war on droves? Did you care about our community that much? Of course you did. So it was a war on drugs, but it was a real war on blacks. Because if you didn't make a war on blacks, you would correct your wrong. Mm. You would write your wrong. But since you won't right the wrong, it's obvious now that the war was never on drugs. The war was to get those of us, which were drug dealers, off the street. Okay, you could have gave us a Jim O. Justified sentence. But you gave me, as a first-time non-violent at 26 years old, you put me in prison with life and 20 with no murders, no violence whatsoever in my case. And you sent me away for life mm. and would never allow me to be released. Had it not been for the first step, I had. every time some came out, the court system would increase our drug amount. Mm. So unless people understand how the system works and the laws, how could the court ever say that you have a harmless difference? The court is quick to say a harmless. How can any error be harmless if you are still affected from it?
0: We see the results of decades of systemic oppressions and systemic bias and racism that are that are in the judicial process, you know, dealing with the, the officers on the streets killing people. It's, yes. it's it's just widespread. And 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 I thank you for coming in and sharing sharing this information with individuals so we, they won't forget that we still have individuals in prison languishing behind these barbaric and uncivilized acts. Yes. You know, and and individuals need to realize that we need to to speak out against it. We need to bring home our brothers and sisters. You know, we need to bring those individuals home and, 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 and do away with those sentences that have caused them to remain in prison for 20 plus, 30 years yes individuals still in there and that's why it's that's why it's so important that we speak out against injustice and and be a voice for the voiceless that's right man i i, I thank you brother for 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 sharing that and yes, and, and i want to i want to just uh ask you now you went through 25 years of prison and like myself i went through 27 years of uh, false imprisonment and i didn't have an opportunity for a first review until 23 years. I got my first review. And i, I like to just kind of ask you a question about, did you ever encounter any difficulties in your appellate process? Because I know in 1995, after the, um, the federal bombing in, in Oklahoma, the AEDPA was passed, the Anti-Terrorist Effective Death Penalty Act was passed. And in 1996, yes. Clinton signed that in. And and that was a very, very horrible act. Yes. That anti-terrorist effective death penalty act. Oh my goodness, it shut down so many prisoners, state, yeah. federal, it shut you down in your in your litigation, trying to get review. It had a 365-day only. Yes. You have that clock, and that clock is tolling. That time runs out, 366, you're done.
1: I'm gonna put it like this. When I was passed Mm -hmm. into law,
0: those of us that
1: had just came into the federal system, first of all, we was ignorant to the law and they have cases of ignorance to the law is no excuse. No excuse. So when this law was passed, we didn't have any knowledge of such such law existed. So in 1999, the Supreme court came out with the case, where the case was argued. it was a Jones case, but in 2000, of June of 2000, the Supreme Court came out with a Prenday versus New Jersey. Prenday, a sim was based on any element that increases your maximum penalty must yep. be submitted to a jury. Yep. So those individuals that were still in court, or had they appellate process still in court. If they had life sentences, they was taking might because drug quantity was never included in people like individuals as myself I was an indictment. So when we heard about this, all of us that put something in court, they shot this anti-death penalty affected terrorism act on us. So we, what is this? Mm-hmm. So they told us we was time-barred from entering the court. So then we right. had a had to come out. We was time-barred. Okay, after that, you had Blakely to come out. You did Blakely yeah. versus Washington. Blakely versus the Washington come out. Then you had Booker to come out that excites two provisions of the Federal Sentencing Guideline that were made the guideline mandatory and made the guideline an appellate court, appellate review mandatory. Those two provisions was excised and without those two provisions being excised, then the guideline would be considered like unconstitutional. We mm-hmm. still couldn't get in. We were still, still can't get in. in. Then you had Kimbrough to come out with a crack cocaine, Kimbrough versus United States, where they was dealing with the crack cocaine. Yeah, they talked about the element again. We time bar. Then time-balled. You, had Cunningham, you had Cunningham to come out with the Supreme Court that talked about the element. So you had all these cases that come out. And then 2009, you had Spears to come out in the Supreme Court that talked about crack cocaine. So all these cases that came out, we was time barred. Hmm we not been, had I not been time bar when a print that came out, I would have had to get it no more than 20 years.
0: You would have got review. You would have yes. got
1: positive review. They would have had to move me from the statue of 841 B1A that yeah. carries 10 to life for 50 grams or more, and our statue B1B to carry five to 40 years. And so since there was no drug amount ever in my indictment, I would have had to be sentenced on the all-purpose clause, which is 841 B1C, which is zero to 20 years. But I was time barred as all of us was time barred on a bill that President Clinton signed into law. Declined. 1996. Yes, the anti-death penalty effective terrorism, right? So when you look at that word, anti-death penalty, because you definitely put us on a death sentence when you can't yeah. get anything back in court. And you was calling us a terrorist because if you apply this law to us based off of something that you say, Mike, they did, mm-hmm. how it affect me.
0: Yeah. I want our listeners to to understand that that, uh, Stead and I are are actually describing to you some of the laws and some of the the systematic ways that individuals were denied opportunities to continue to fight for their relief. You know, there's a number of ways individuals still had opportunities for relief, but then the systemic oppressions continued because now you have this act of the Anti-Terrorist Effective Death Penalty Act in 1996. And if you are one day over, if you are 366 days, you will not proceed any further in your filings. You will not be able to, to get relief granted, whether it's legitimate or not. You are shut down. And the thousands and thousands of individuals throughout the United States of America Have been shut down, both state and federal, have been shut down. State individuals they will not enter in the federal court after that three hundred and sixty-five days. Three sixty-six and over, you're done. This is something that you know. I, as well as yourself, you know, we really had to to start learning the law. You know, as soon as I went in, I knew I had to learn the law, as well as yourself. You and you and you had to learn how to apply that law. And yes. and 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 use the certain cases you mentioned. You mentioned Apprendi and Blakely. I, I remember those cases when they came out, and that's for me working on other guys' cases. You yes. know, but but I, I tell you, to be informed is to be forewarned. That's right. And, and while being inside, you know, I, I know you just weren't in there, just saying, "Okay, I sold drugs and I deserve to have this life sentence." No, you no. took on. You took on the fight to learn the law, to, to start yes. applying it to your case and helping others in their cases. Yes. And long with every day maintaining and doing your best to be of positive influence to other individuals around you on a daily basis. Yes, now, sir. I know You mentioned earlier about some of the some of the things that you brought into the institution. Can, can you go in and name a few of those? Things that you um uh, that you you helped the institution begin, or you started in the institution.
1: Yes, back in early nineties, or uh, particularly in nineteen ninety eight, I was in the United States Penitentiary, Atlanta, Georgia, and I used to do fundraisers. And I was, at that time I was working hand in hand with the Youth Task Force that was ran by Angela Brown out of Atlanta, Georgia, and Tanisha Foxworth. Hmm. I was working hand in hand with them, where I would help raise funds for. Whatever causes they was on, and so back in 1998, they, the, I think it was Atlanta Constitution, they ran what is called the crack babies at Emory University, and I did a fundraiser. The the woman was named Demetra Walls, hmm. and I did a fundraiser to send money to those for the causes of those young babies, which she advised me. I don't think she worked there alone, but she advised me. Although they show young black babies that was in the paper, majority of the babies was mostly white. And so we still sent funds there for that cause. I helped um, youth task force at that time was working on raising funds for Lucretia Murray. She was a young woman out of the state of Texas that the state of Texas gave her 25 years and she was 11 years old. Hmm. So they raised defense money, defense money for her. And money was raised inside of the prison to assist that. And Lucretia ended up doing three years and she got out at the age of 14. You know, and so um, those was things that I was doing. And when I got to Edgefield, South Carolina in 1999, mm-hmm. it was all uh, this little four year old girl that was a hit and run incident. Her family didn't have insurance. Mm-hmm. And so I went to the warden, I asked the warden, can I do a fundraiser? Yeah. And from that fundraiser, with the help of God, in three days, I raised eighteen hundred dollars inside the prison. Mm-hmm. And Contact the Reverend Larry Fry. That's in Augusta. That we communicate right now. In fact, he was getting ready to bring me over to speak to certain kind of uh, schools, different kind of schools over there in the Augusta, Georgia area. So Reverend Fry came in to thank the institution and to thank us on behalf of helping to offset the insurance or the hospital bill. And little Divine lived for a few years, and she ended up dying because they took three pieces of her brain. But I'm grateful to God that we was able to contribute and raise money for her defense fund. Yes,
0: thank you. Um,
1: And so at that time, when it got to Source, Source Magazine did a story on me that was in June 2000, Source Magazine, for me doing fundraisers while I was incarcerated, and being uh, striving to be an example while I was incarcerated. That was in June 2000, that Source covered this story. And so like since two thousand, I set up a program. with the program was—the quality of life. This program was based on self-analysis, self-examination, self-correction, where folk had young individuals to focus on themselves, right? And work themselves first and foremost, because I don't care what type of education you receive, I don't care what type of business plan you have. There's always some certain things about us that we don't quite understand about ourselves. Certain weaknesses that we have we could work on. And when circumstances appear, those weaknesses appear, then how do you handle them? So I would always encourage young men. And that class went on for me being in Edgefield of 1999. Yep. The class started in like 2000, all the way to the um, release in USP Atlanta in 2019. That class was still going on while I was setting up the class, working with young men. Uh, and matter of fact, in Talladega, you had to be dressed a certain way. You had to iron your clothes. You could not come in that class with wrinkled clothes on. Standard. Uh, if you receive incident reports, you had to was put out the class. So the class was based on certain criterias, certain standards that you had to carry yourself by. Yes. Otherwise, you could not be in that class. So those are the type of class I was dealing with was trying to help young men to as they came in to go out better than when they came in. Although I had a life sentence, I didn't focus on that. I would yeah. tell them if you go out better, I would you took me out with you. Man, so I share with them, If you go out and you're a better individual, then you freed me.
0: Yeah, why you went
1: out with me on your mind? I say, so
0: I'm good. Awesome, man. Thank you, thank you, Seth, for sharing that. Yes. And uh, just to just to let our our viewers know, you know, just because we are behind bars or fences or walls, it doesn't stop us from from exercising our our, our basic human rights and. And, and being and being individuals that show love care, and concern it's mm-hmm. like just like I know I know the deal man with, you know proposing, making proposals to the warden to do this event to do that event to bring in these individuals, and that's what it's about, man, not being complacent and not just trying to say well i'm in I'm incarcerated, I'm in here, so I'm gonna just act like I'm in some type of a different world and just start displaying all type of of uh inhumane or or incorrigible acts while inside. No, we were men of substance. That's right. Men of substance, men of honor, and and men who had who had great great structure. Yes. And, and man, it's it's a it's an honor and privilege to just to be able to give the audience an opportunity to, to hear to hear you speak and uh, for you to share your testimony and share your experiences with us, man. You know, we, we go back to, I think, uh, where did we meet at, you, Do you recall where we met at? I was told by several individuals
1: that, that I had to meet Jimmy Gardner. And okay. so I remember when they said your name, I remembered your name while I was in prison, concerned, and I had heard certain things by Jimmy Gardner, this brother that was falsely accused and had did this much time. So when they brought your name up, I, I recall somebody had brought your name up while I was incarcerated. Yeah. So the first individual, Miss Harrow, Miss Harrow brought it up. She's out all over Georgia. I think her. Yeah, family, yeah. she brought it up. Mm-hmm. And so I had heard it through her, and then it was this young woman over in America's Georgia named Lucretia Latonya. She brought it up and said, "You need to meet Jimmy. I'm gonna see if I hook it up." And yeah. so, Brother Rashard Richie, when I was on his show, yes, yeah. brother, you and brother, you and Jimmy need to meet. I got to put y'all together. Yes. So when I brought it up to Pastor Knighton.
0: That's
1: him. I just brought the name (laughs) up. And Pastor Knighton said, hold on for a minute. In fact, I was was doing the church floor. I had tripped the floor and was uh, waxing the floor and buffing the floor. So Pastor Knighton said, hold on for a minute. And so he dialed a number. The same way he did with Brother Rashard Richard.
0: Yes. When
1: did, I was always trying to get on Brother Richard Richard's show while I was in prison to raise yeah. the ears about the crack cocaine. He said, hold on for a minute. And so he called Brother Richard and me and Brother Richard spoke. And that's been the beginning of that yeah. relationship. And man, he, man. he did the same thing when I mentioned your name. He said, hold on for a minute, brother. He dialed the phone and me and you got to speak. And so yeah. from that. We that's the that's the encounter, you know, why so many people continue to say your name to me. So I knew with the help of God that was God saying that these two individuals must meet.
0: Yes, uh our good brother Lawrence Knighton. And Lawrence yes. Knight minister, Minister Lawrence Knighton, good brother, yes. man. He introduced me to you, he introduced me to Rashad Richie. Yes. I mean, he has been uh excellent. We go back in speaking at Lee State Prison. I've been I've spoken at least state prison probably 30 something 40 times, man it's, yeah, but I, I go back in there every every opportunity I get, but his providing an opportunity for us to, to 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 just contact and communicate with each other man and and become friends man it's, it's it's awesome that's right. It's just been a wonderful a wonderful meeting, and uh we know it was decreed by by God man and um that's right that's and we right. just continue to do our positive works. And just do our work for God, man, and, and, and give back. And we're gonna watch all of the fruits and all the blessings just come up just come our way and for opportunities for individuals that are underprivileged, impoverished, and still incarcerated to get some relief and, and be able to live their lives a little bit more fuller. And can you can you tell everybody uh, how it is, man, since being home? What's been going on, man, since you came home?
1: Well, you know, when I when I was released, brother Jimmy, um mm-hmm. I came out My mind was set many years ago that one day I would get out of federal prison. I didn't focus on when that would be. But my mind was always set to come out and give my children their time. Although they're grown adults, some have their own families, but it's time that I cannot replace. But they knew of me. I know of them. Right. Although they came to visit me, we don't know each other. And so I wanted to give them their time and give my family their time. And in the process, set my business up. That's right. I wanted to set my business up and um get my business established because I didn't come out. Those were my two objectives. Right. My children and family, and dealing with them, and then setting my business up. Nothing else was more important. I didn't come out of prison to intermingle with women. I cause I was like, I'm broke. She broke. What we gonna get? I'm going to take on her bills Yeah, I'm going to be mad at myself. So my thing was establish myself, establish my business. And with the help of God, my business is going very well. I am vendors now with these multi-billion dollar corporations where they, I get big contracts. Uh, yeah. Only God could have opened the doors that's being open for me. And what's the name of
0: your business? What what's, what's the name? Share that with us.
1: Well, my business is all around cleaning and labor service, but I have a... Second business, that is my corporation, which is Top Ten Management and Investment LLC. This business does uh, quite a bit of things. It can take contracts. It can serve jobs out. It take on jobs and all. So based on what type of job I'm doing, I will operate on all Around cleaning and labor service. I will operate on the Top Ten Management and Investment LLC. And so uh, with me being villains with these corporations, um, I get big contracts. You know, I can take the contracts or I can serve the contracts out with right. some contracts. Right now, I've been taking and just employ certain individuals and get them some work. The next thing is uh, I have a book deal that was us, that was helped out by uh, my sister, Moretta Johnson. And that's going well, where I have uh, Mr. Robbie King. He's a ghostwriter. He's the ghostwriter that's actually, I have to do my recording and he's putting it together, which uh, God willing, that should be out very soon. And do Some know. other things are going on concerning that I will have to let my sister K.C. Fox address yeah. because that's her field, that's her area. She's okay. having that, okay. And that's another area that is very lucrative for me. So, you know, I'm grateful to God for it. Other than that, and now I work in my garden. I have my my organic garden. I put, okay. I, I actually worked in this garden myself. I turned the ground myself. I didn't hire anyone to do it. Yeah. I didn't bring a big tractor in, I use a tiller for three weeks turning the ground myself. And when okay. I go back when I go back home in Tukamilla, Georgia, which I'm in Macon, Georgia right now, I go back and I get my garden tools and I get out there and clean the grass out the garden. And I water my garden every day. I be in my garden. So I like, I'm a vegetarian. So I like growing my own vegetables. Okay. You know, and so uh, that was something I said I would do when I was retiring a citizen, re- return back home. So uh, as of for the last two weeks now, I'm actually engaged to my uh, daughter's mother. You know, oh, man. congratulations, brother.
0: Congratulations.
1: Yes. You know, I'm one that I always said that you don't get a free ride. That's right. God do not give you anything free, you yeah. have to work for it. That's right. And so out of me being incarcerated for 25 years, I would say out of 75% of my time incarcerated, some form of fashion, me and her continued to have communication. And that's how I seen some of my children. That's she right. So mm-hmm. out of that, I sat back and said, um, well, I can meet a new one, but I don't know her. For one circumstance, <laughs> determine what you have. Yes, sir. So that's since I know what I have with her. And she gave me that some form of support. Then yeah. that, by the grace of God, I, that was my blessing to her.
0: And yeah, I presented
1: yeah. her On her birthday of May the 21st, which that Saturday, which was the 23rd, I presented her a ring for engagement. And so God willing, oh, we will be, we'll be getting married sometime in the next three months, which we already have our marriage license. That's all we're feeling. So yeah. we will have a little short, a small win, but we'll have a pretty big reception, God willing,
0: this year. Man, congratulations, brother. I'm so proud of you, man. So happy for you, bro. Yes, and, um, you know, I, I, I'm a firm believer in um, what you put out, you get back. Yes. And, okay. and you share a testimony about all the time, the years and the efforts you did while inside. And you continue that while outside, just giving back. And, and God blesses those who give back and who serve for God. Yes. And, 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 and being a servant is a, truly a blessing. Yes, sir. Continue to serve, brother. Continue to serve. Most definitely. Yeah. That's why I love I love my show, man. Chopping it up with Jimmy C. Cause we can just sit back and chop it up, man. Hey, I
1: love your show, too, brother.
0: I want to ask you um just some questions about when you came home. If I could, man, just about seven, seven or eight questions, if you could answer. And we'll try to keep them brief and, and just try to share share with us a little bit of uh how Mr. Step Frazier applied his life when he came home. the first question is, what what is the first food that you ate upon coming home? The first food that I ate. Yeah.
1: I had already said once the judge uh, granted me immediate release, I would have 10 days left in federal prison. So my point was the minute he said immediate release, which he said it on July 24th. I said I would not eat another meal in federal prison. So I didn't eat no food from July 24th. Until August the second, which it was nine days because I didn't get (laughs) released. What do you mean
0: you ain't eat no food?
1: (laughs) I I fast. I fast. I literally drunk water and coffee, and I drunk tea. That was it. I didn't eat no more food in prison. I made it clear that I would not eat in prison no more once I was granted immediate release. Man, those three days I didn't eat no food, and I was intended to go to Saturday, which was the tenth day, but. I was with my daughters because they were right. outside the prison, and it was a uh, media out there. So my daughters took we went shopping, and they wanted to cook with me. So we cooked that night, and I cooked some stir fried cabbage with broccoli and coconut <laughs> oil. Oh, okay, on. that was uh, I, I believe my daughter made some rice or something.
0: Yeah,
1: uh, might have made some macaroni and cheese or, or something. We had a nice meal. Yeah. You know, yeah. I love cooking for coconut oil. I love just using coconut oil. Right. And so uh we cooked together. So me and my my two daughters and my granddaughter, we cooked together on the, That was my first meal um, I hadn't ate since the
0: 24th. Wow. Man, that's a, man, that's nine days of fasting. I mean, but you you had to drop about 15 pounds. I I dropped 10 pounds. I dropped 10 pounds.
1: And me, I, while I was in prison, I always practiced my discipline. I would yeah. practice my discipline on being being consistent. Yeah. Sometimes when my weight will pick up, I just test my will, and I say I'm gonna go five days, and I just do it. And I would always practice my discipline because I learned if you can control food, that's right, control your sex drives and everything. So I knew with me coming out, I would not be involved with no women. I would not deal with no woman. I would be establishing myself. So ain't nothing a woman could say to me to discourage me and get me off my point of my mission when I was on. So you know, so I would practice. To myself from food, my. and so when I say I wasn't, gonna, I wasn't gonna eat, I've been doing it like that since 1996. So all I do is keep my discipline in sometime.
0: Yes, and I'm I'm glad you're sharing that with the audience because you know fasting is such a wonderful thing. You know, I yes. started fasting back in 1994. Yes, and uh, I fasted, I fasted for the past 26 years. Yes, and, and I tell you, fasting enables one to to, to replenish it, yep. it takes out the impurities it gives you it gives you an opportunity to just start anew and mm-hmm. take care of your mind body and spirit man fasting is not just food and drinks but it's involving you controlling your thoughts controlling yeah. what comes in your ears what controlling your eyes your gaze controlling your your every move and yeah. fasting keeps you on such of a a powerful point and man, I, I'm just glad you shared that fasting testimony with us, man. Yeah. Yes, okay. sir. Okay. So my next question is: what, what's what's the most shocking experience since you came home? What is the most most shocking experience that you've encountered since since being home?
1: That it was a few months ago, and I was here in Macon, and I had an envelope. And so when I wrote my name on the envelope, mm-hmm. or when I wrote it on something, I put my prison number beside it. So my brother, he <laughs> bust out, went laughing and showed I'm laughing, me. To Take a picture of that. So, you know, so it's certain things that I still yeah. do unconsciously. Unconsciously. And it's based off of me being incarcerated. Right. And so um, sometimes that, that's the shocking part of, and you know, um, so I feel I adjusted pretty well. But the shockingest part, another shocking part, is this technology. Yeah. You know, still some, I'm still somewhat ignorant to the use of it. You know, so I just go along with the flow of learning it slowly.
0: Question three: What what do you love doing the most since being
1: home? Other than being with my family and being with my children and laughing with them, there it is. I love continuing my businesses. And, there it um, is, I, continue, I love continuing working. I don't, yeah, I don't rest too much. I go. I get up still seven days a week at four something every morning, and this is a process that's been going on since nineteen ninety six. I'm consistent. I believe in yeah. consistency. I can t- love to continue to work. I don't stop. I can. I'm always doing something. I'm busy. If I'm not doing something, I'm. If I'm just sitting around, I go get in my garden and go to work in my garden and yeah. work for three, three to five hours in the hot sun. So you know, yeah. I'm always busy doing something. Greatest life and busy. Yeah, stay
0: busy. Got to. That's yes. the number one thing I tell people. I don't mind. Is the it's the devil's, devil's work workshop. workshop. That's right. Stay busy. I stay people, busy. Like people are at home right now during this COVID nineteen, and they're wondering, man, I, I just can't do it. I can't. Just keep yourself busy. Keep yourself busy. Focus on staying busy, yes. and, and you'll be okay. We go to this next question. Are, are you active in advocating for um, justice for others? That are still incarcerated. Yes, yes.
1: As um, I was saying, yeah, you know, I continue to raise my voice concerning the crack cocaine disparity. But not only the crack cocaine disparity, uh, the crack cocaine disparity is bigger than just what's being said. The anti drug abuse act abolished federal parole. So if you deal with the, if you deal with the crack cocaine disparity, you'll have to deal with the repeal of the anti drug abuse act, which could usher in federal parole, which it'll give those brothers after doing so many years, you can come up for parole. So if you mm. abolish or repeal the 1986 anti-drug abuse act and repeal the crack cocaine disparity in its entirety, then you can open the door for federal parole, which will give an outlet to the system. So I raise my voice for all that as well. Yes, and so and then also I'm in the, I'm in the communities working with the Boys and Girls Club. I'm in oh, the man. schools and also yes, I'm definitely active in my community because I've that my experience. Can help some of them. Everyone won't heal, but it's it's so small that if you say one, it's like you say the world. So if one hit and one changes life, I done my job.
0: Next question is: uh, What's your favorite book? Do you have a favorite book?
1: <sighs> favorite book?
0: Yes. I know you read a lot of law books, you know, and, and I know you read the Bible. Yes, and you, I read
1: the Bible. I read the Quran. You
0: read the Quran also? Yes.
1: Well, I got to say, my favorite book was a book that helped to change my life, and that was Message to the Black Man by the most honored Elijah Muhammad.
0: Message to the Black Man. i read it it.
1: it. it gave me a knowledge and directed me on self. That, that I didn't, self. The focus on myself. Don't worry about the next individual. Deal with self first. Self.
0: Self. Mm, excellent. Thank you, brother. Now, now, If you, I know you, while inside, I don't know if y'all had radios or anything, but you have a favorite song? What what would step be listening to right now? Favorite Um, song?
1: I'm an old-timer. The Manhattan, the Stylistics, Jeffrey Osborne, LTD.
0: No, not LTD, 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 man.
1: (laughs) um, Frankie Beverly Mays. Yeah. Yeah. Barry White. Yeah. I'm I'm an old schooler. That's right. I'm right there with you, I like, bro. I like, I like I like some of the young rap. Yeah. I don't quite understand what they be saying, but I like the beats. <laughs> so the beats, the beats sound good. I'm an old schooler. I love the oh, I love those um uh, that Manhattan listed the OJs. Yeah, that's that's my type of music.
0: No doubt, no doubt, man. Thank you for that. Now, now on the side of a little bit more seriousness, we do know that the, on, the ongoing situations and circumstances that are, that, are, that are currently happening in our society dealing with the death of Mr. Floyd Mr. George Floyd uh, Ms. Breonna Taylor Mr. Ahmaud Arbery and so many other young men and women and it's so unfortunate and, and, and my condolences go out to the families and I want to ask you what would you recommend or say to our young brothers and sisters that are stepping up and being ever so, so present in these, in these protests and th- in these marches and starting organizations to bring light and just speaking their voices against this injustice and police brutality that is going on in today's world. What would, you, what would be some advice to these individuals? Maybe just give them some words of wisdom.
1: Well, the words of wisdom is this generation, regardless of how we look at it, is one of our greatest generations. Yes. For one, they're not afraid. I'm
0: right there with you.
1: They are actually sitting back. I look at, and I have to go to this point, that any time of the children of Israel, according to the Bible and the Quran, the elders was afraid of Pharaoh, which means a materialistic society, a government, a structure. And they were, the elders was afraid And they pleaded, told Mama Moses and Aaron, said, y'all go in and fight the giants. You and God. So God said to Moses, he said, I'm going to allow the elders to die off. And I'm going to use the youth. So the youth today, there's two ways things happen in life. Either by God's permissive will or his active will. Mm -hmm. So if God is permitting, first of all, the cops to kill our young people like this, He's permitting it, but he's also permitting the young people to rise up and they don't want to hear no celebrities trying to talk to them. The young people are pulling us into something. Yes. So I shared something and I read this over five years ago in the federal system and the FBI had came out with a report and I shared it on social media. They say that the law enforcement had been infiltrated by white supremacists. So these individuals that's in the law enforcement are killing us wholesale because of who they believe they are being more superior. Don't so condemn my young brothers no. at point. No. Because they're getting attention. Those yeah. other cops would not have been charged if it wouldn't have took the turn that it took when they were protesting. Yeah. That's Frederick Douglass and I shared this today. Frederick Douglass make it power does not concede with a demand by force. You're not going to get justice if you're not willing to sacrifice and power don't concede Without a demand and you got to be willing to put force behind your demand. The young people are putting force.
0: I always express nothing but just gratitude and and just thankfulness to our young brothers, our young kings and queens. That's why I love. Yeah. I love speaking to the young, my, our young folks, the most. Because when I when I address those young kings and queens, I address them as such, and I let them know yeah. off the top, much respect, much respect. I come to you with respect just as well as, as they tell me. Well, we respect you, Mr. Gardner. You with them. I'm respecting you also. That's right. You know, yeah, that's because right. we gon' we gonna, we, gonna, we in this together.
1: We pay the for it because we accept the responsibility and we steward our ground.
0: That's right. And we are so thankful. We, we pay homage to our ancestors, the, the ancestors that came before and, and, and uh, they, they passed on now. We pay homage to them. They are the pioneers and we are yes. following through. We are following yes. in their footsteps. And, right. and these young brothers and sisters are following in the footsteps of their ancestors and they're doing a wonderful job. That's Much right. props to them. Yes. Let me hit that next question with you. Um, what do you want people to know about you about who you are, who is Steph Fraser? What, what do you want people to know about Steph Fraser,
1: man? I'm a person that's tied to the suffering of our people. No, and so. and mm-hmm. a wise man said that no individual can ri- rise, is greater than the condition of his people.
0: That's right.
1: So, and I share with family members and all, if I stay silent to the young child is even being killed in Palestine. The young child is being killed in Africa over bombs and, and destroying their land. Yeah. If I say all that, my child is no greater than that child. So I'm one that's connected particularly to the our people, and I'm one that's very passionate to what's going on, but I'm one that's humble by God because that was a humbling experience. I'm humble by God yeah. to fight the cause And I believe in being, I'm a warrior, not a soldier. See, there's a difference in a warrior and a soldier. A soldier defect, a warrior don't. A warrior is willing to pay the price or whatever that price is, it does not matter. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I want them to know, that I'm one that stands with my people Mm -hmm. and fight for justice with them, regardless of the consequences or what can come with
0: the consequences. Mm
1: -hmm. I'm here to accept it.
0: Thank you, brother. Thank you. Well, this has been this has been a wonderful opportunity and I'm so thankful for you joining us. I thank you, brother. Take care of yourself. Yes, sir. And and may may the peace and And blessings. May the peace and blessings of God be upon you, brother, always and forever. And thank you for sharing this opportunity. And I want to say that keep doing the work that you're doing. Allow yourself to continue to be the vessel. Thank you, brother. Yeah, Chopping It Up with Jimmy C. Garner. Thank, Thank you, you, I'm grateful. God bless you. God bless. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Chopping It Up with Jimmy C. Where we celebrate life after wrongful conviction. Remember, you get to define your life, no one else. Also, don't forget to like and share our Facebook page. Sign up for our alerts so you don't miss our show. That's it. We out. Peace. One love.